A few months ago, Wired Magazine reached out to Brandon Sanderson asking if they could do a major piece about him. Sanderson agreed. He took the journalist out for dinner, answered his questions, let the journalist stay at his house, took him to his convention, let him meet his family, and even hang out with his kids. The whole time, the journalist was friendly and constantly asking questions. You know anything about journalists, you probably know how this story ends. Last week, the article came out, and it was one of the most mean-spirited hit pieces I personally have ever read. The journalist seemed frustrated that Sanderson had no skeletons in the closet. Brandon Sanderson is happily married, and all he does is write and talk about writing. His readers love him and his books, and he makes millions of dollars writing eight hours a day every day. How boring, <laughs> at least as far as this journalist was concerned. The journalist, frustrated that Sanderson didn't say anything incriminating, instead attacked Sanderson's writing, family, appearance, religion, fans, city, and even his taste in food. The article dripped with condescension and envy. Sanderson's fans were described as smelly man boys. Sanderson's children were described as having bad taste. The Wired journalist talks about Sanderson's wife, Emily, multiple times, but refuses to name her, instead calling her the wife at one point. If I could sum up the article in one sentence, it would be this. How dare this nerd write nerdy books for fellow nerds? Doesn't he have taste? <laughs> Imagine how you would have felt if this article came out about you. Imagine how blindsided Sanderson must have felt to read that article after showing such kindness. He let the journalist stay in his guest room. Imagine how it would feel to see your children publicly ridiculed. And this is with Sanderson doing nothing wrong and saying nothing stupid. Interacting with the media is tricky. Authors want publicity for their books. They want help getting the word out. They want to see their book on TV, magazines, and websites. But most media people don't care about authors or books. They care about attention. They get paid through clicks and page views. And if they can get more attention attacking you, they will. So how do you handle a hostile interview? How do you avoid giving the media something to use against you? How do you get the media to share your message rather than it getting twisted out of context? We'll find out in this episode of Novel Marketing the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstadt, Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a living writing books worth talking about. My first time to get interviewed on the nightly news was when I was in high school. I had purchased 50 tickets for the opening night of Lord of the Rings and resold them to all my high school friends. We then showed up to the theater in costume, and one of the local TV stations wanted to interview me. It was a fun, meaningless interview, but since then, I have been interviewed or had my photo appear on the San Antonio Express News, the Texas Tribune, the Austin American Statesman, and World News, among others. My photo once appeared on the front page of the Houston Chronicle, and the local NBC affiliate once sent a news crew to my office for an interview, and they did a later interview at my house. I also have done a lot of radio and podcast interviews, especially when my book came out. I've spent a lot of time talking with reporters, <laughs> and many of them disagreed with me, and some of them were hostile. 
So I have some experience interacting with the media. And I also have some experience being a media person. I also went through political media training back when I thought I would have a career in politics before I started serving authors. So I'd like to share some of what I've learned in this episode, specifically about hostile journalists and hostile interviews. You're going to learn a lot about how to do a good interview in a tricky situation. But as we get into the tips, I want to underline this really important point. If you're trying to sell books, all publicity is good publicity. The hit piece on Brandon Sanderson definitely got attention and made Wired a lot of money, which was the goal for Wired, right? If they can get people to rage read their article, their page views still count as far as the advertisers are concerned. But Brandon Sanderson's fans went into a tizzy over the Wired article. And YouTube videos criticizing the article and defending Sanderson got hundreds of thousands of views. <laughs> And not one video, but multiple videos got hundreds of thousands of views. These are not videos made by Sanderson. They were videos made by members of the community about the article. Once people saw Sanderson's gracious response to the Wired article, readers rallied around him all the more. I read one tweet from someone who'd never read a Sanderson book and who wanted to after reading Brandon's gracious response to the article. So, from a book sales perspective, even this negative hit piece was positive for book sales. So don't shy away from an interview just because the journalist might be hostile. Though perhaps don't let a reporter around your kids, even if they are a friendly senior editor at Wired Magazine. <laughs> Brandon Sanderson is one of the most successful authors alive. He's the number one most popular fantasy author and no mean-spirited hit piece can change the love that Sanderson's readers have for him and his writing. He'll be fine. So with all that preamble out of the way, let's get to the tips. So the first tip, and this is perhaps the most important, is to understand what journalists want. The biggest bias in journalism is against boring. They are constantly looking for the angle that shows the most blood. Since, as the old saying goes, if it bleeds, it leads. So if you want the media to talk about you, you've got to be interesting. Journalists are also looking for the unusual. Dog Bites Man is a boring story, but Man Bites Dog? Now that will get some clicks. So if you want media coverage, you need to give the media something that's interesting or unusual. If it's both interesting and unusual, so much the better. The more interesting you can be, the more the media will want to talk to you. And by interesting, this can sometimes be as simple as speaking without saying, ah. Clear, simple sentences are what make it on TV and print, and it is surprisingly difficult to find people who can simply state what they think in very few words. I remember doing one TV interview, and the reporter was asking all kinds of questions. Finally, I just said, justice delayed is justice denied. I knew as soon as I said it, that would be the quote they used, and sure enough, that was what they ran with on the news that night. The more you can practice beforehand, the more succinct you will be in the interview. But what about nerves? I recommend doing a lot of friendly podcast interviews to get used to answering questions. You don't want your first ever interview to be with a hostile journalist. My second piece of advice is to don't trust nice. Every single journalist I have ever interacted with has been incredibly friendly to my face. 
<laughs> in the Wired, senior editor was nice to Sanderson's face. Brandon had no idea a hit piece was on the way until it hit. But you must realize this truth. Journalists don't care about you. They care about the story. They don't see you as a person. They see you as a source. The reason they are friendly is to get you to calm down, lower your guard, and give them that interesting quote. If you're in front of your yard crying because your house burned down, a journalist will interview you about how you're feeling, and they'll be very friendly and compassionate when they do it. But they would never follow up with you the next day to help clean up. <laughs> That's not their job. Remember, they are making money telling people about your house burning down. For them, this is just a job and you're just another sad story that they can share to get clicks or views or whatever. This struck home to me when I bumped into a journalist a day after an interview. During the interview, she was super friendly, but the next day, it was like I was a non-person. She had her quote and now I didn't matter. <laughs> this is a surprisingly common interaction I have journalists. Once they get what they want, they're off to the next thing. Some journalists are actually nice people, but there's no way to know if the journalist is truly friendly or is faking it to get the quote. I remember one CBS radio reporter being nice to me the day after the interview. We were at an ongoing event and we were chatting cordially from time to time and I enjoyed hanging out with him. <laughs> uh, but even when he was being friendly, I always had my guard up because I knew he was there for work. Everything is on the record unless you have a friend in common. And I didn't know any of this CBS radio reporter's friends. The next piece of advice or the next thing to understand is the medium is the message. And my apologies for those of you who studied PR in school or journalism in school. This is not cutting edge stuff here. This is the fundamentals 101 stuff. But a common view of PR is that the medium is the message or put another way. How the message is conveyed is as important as what is said. So, for example, how you look on TV is as important, if not more important, than what you say. How you sound on a podcast or on radio is as important as what you say. The famous example that you'll hear in every journalism school is the debate between Kennedy and Nixon. People who listened to the debate on the radio thought Nixon won the debate. But Nixon was sweaty and nervous on camera, while Kennedy was wearing makeup and looked calm and collected. Voters who watched the debate thought that Kennedy won, and Kennedy then went on to win the presidential election because he looked good, not because he said better words. The medium also influences what the journalist is looking for. A long-form podcast may be looking for a 30-minute explanation of something. A TV interview may be wanting a 30-second explanation of that same thing. So to give that 30-minute explanation, you need to be well-versed. You need to be ready for follow-up questions. You need to know the details and the intricacies of your topic. To give a 30-second soundbite, you need to know how to boil down your core point into a simple statement. And often, those simple statements that you hear, those sound points that you see on TV... Uh, are practiced ahead of time, often workshopped ahead of time, sometimes even tested on focus groups ahead of time. What looks like a natural conversation is actually a highly produced dance. It's as much of a dance as a fight is in a movie, right? It's a carefully choreographed event. And if you are coming to this carefully choreographed fight and you're trying to wing it 
you will lose. (laughs) A newspaper reporter may be looking for just one good sentence from you. And one of the most important skills for getting your quote into the media is brevity. That pre-practice, that pre-hashing of the ideas is key. TV reporters don't want context or nuance. They want focused heat. And so if you can give that to them, they will want you on their programs. And they'll come back to you for quotes time and time again. Even if they don't like you, right? People who kept coming back to me for quotes, the journalists, they didn't like me. I mean, they they pretended to, but I don't think they liked me. But they knew I was good for a quote. (laughs) And that's what they cared about. This is business. It's not uh, show friendship. And it's interesting to see TV personalities who are used to soundbite communication will often struggle on long-form shows like the Joe Rogan Experience. So if you ever listen to the Joe Rogan podcast, he asks tough questions and then gives guests as much time as they want to answer them. And episodes will regularly go for three hours long, and he rarely interrupts a guest. And some guests who are practiced for TV really struggle in that format because Their knowledge is only a superficial knowledge, and they're not ready for the tough questions. So when you practice, I encourage you to practice for the medium that you're going to be on. So practice differently for television than you would for a podcast as you hone and practice your message. My next piece of advice is to keep your cool. And I know you're saying, yes, I know, keep my cool, right? This isn't rocket science, right? Because if you lose it and start shouting at the journalist, you know what clip they're going to go with, right? That's the heat that they're looking for, but it's not going to make you look good. So how do you keep your cool when you're feeling angry, anxious, or afraid? Well, it's actually quite simple. You smile. You force your face to smile. I learned this in speech and debate. When asked a tough question or when the other team made a tough point, The judge will often look at the opposing team to see how they respond. And one of the keys to winning debates is to smile, even when the other team is making really good points. Forcing yourself to smile is a great method for keeping your emotions under control. You can't feel your way into a different way of acting, at least not very easily, but you can act your way into a different way of feeling. So control your physical body, control your face and smile even when all you want to do is run away. (laughs) The other way to keep your cool is to, wait for it, practice. (laughs) The more practiced you are, the less likely you are to get flustered. My next tip, especially if you're concerned about this being a particularly hostile journalist, is to keep your own recording. I once worked with an author who was also a state representative. He was so tired of being misquoted by the media that he started to bring his own tape recorder to the interviews. So they would sit down at the table, the journalist would turn on her tape recorder and put it on the table, and then he would pull out his tape recorder and put it right next to hers. And like magic, he stopped being misquoted. (laughs) And nowadays, you don't even need a tape recorder. You can just use your phone and start recording. If they can record the conversation, so can you. Journalists can lose face for misquoting sources, but if you don't have your own recording, it's a he said, she said, and the journalist will be given the benefit of the doubt. But if you have your own recording, the journalist knows there will be evidence if they misquote you, and so they don't. (laughs) If a journalist ever objects to you keeping your own recording, stand up and leave. This is a trap. It's a trap. 
I should point out, keeping your own recording won't keep them from being hostile or from attacking you, but it does prevent them from lying about what you said. So it's a small precaution to take, and it doesn't cost you anything to pull out your phone. My next tip is to pause before responding. Most interactions with the media are pre-recorded and highly edited. This allows the journalist to shape the narrative and hone the presentation. If your interview is pre-recorded, the very best thing you can do when asked a question is pause and collect your thoughts before answering the question. The journalist will edit out that pause, right? Because pauses are boring. (laughs) And the act of pausing and forcing yourself to collect your thoughts will result in a better, clearer quote, which is what the journalist wants, right? They want a good, clear sentence. Sometimes a journalist will talk to somebody for 30 minutes just trying to get one clear sentence out of that person. But pausing also helps reduce the likelihood that you'll say something stupid. (laughs) So I know I'm giving you the same advice your grandmother probably gave you, but it's really good advice. You need to remember it because when you're getting hot in the head from tough questions, pausing is something that takes practice. Now, if your interview is live, you'll have to maintain the pace of the conversation and you won't be able to pause, especially if it's a combative TV discussion, especially with multiple guests simultaneously. You pause, somebody else will jump in, and you won't be able to get your say. So this is why practice is important also for live. (laughs) And it's why, again, practicing on friendly podcasts are so helpful because it helps you learn how to keep up with the pace of a conversation. My next piece of advice is to don't repeat poison words. So people don't watch TV or listen to the radio that carefully. They likely have their phone out or they're driving or their kids are in the room or whatever. This lack of full attention results in people not hearing you the way you think they are. They're not listening nearly as carefully as you are listening to the recording when you listen to it later. (laughs) Uh, So the classic example of this is negative words, right? So it takes uh, mental effort to process a negative. If you say, I'm not a crook, the word that jumps out from that sentence to someone who's only half listening is crook. So trained PR professionals are careful to never repeat poison words. Instead, they state the positive. So for example, instead of saying, the toxins leaking from our train cars into the water will be fully cleaned up. Say instead, we are committed to ensuring that the water is 100% clean. (laughs) For someone only half listening, that first sentence sounds like toxins water. And the second uh, sentence sounds like water clean. Even though the substance of those sentences were the same, people will hear them very differently. This is the essence. If you go to media training, maybe half of the media training is on this one principle of learning how to not repeat poison words. And if you watch a media trained politician, they often won't even say their opponent's name because part of winning an election is having the more famous name because there's a certain kind of voter who just votes for the name they recognize which personally I don't understand because the reason you've heard of the politician is probably because they're a crook. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, there's a certain kind of voter who's like that. And so in order to win that voter, a trained politician will say, my opponent believes in this terrible thing, but I believe in this good thing, right? And they state very clearly the positive. So don't say, I don't use a ghostwriter. Instead say, I write every word myself. Stating sentences in the positive will protect you, especially when people aren't listening very carefully or if what you're saying is being taken out of context. 
The next tip is to do your research. Preparation and practice are key to success, and you'll be far more motivated to prepare for an interview if you know it's going to be hostile going into the interview. The last thing you want is to be ambushed into a hostile interview. So do your research. What publication is wanting the interview? What kind of articles do they typically write? How have they treated people like you in the past? Or put another way, are they my kind of nerds? <laughs> so wired nerds are not the same as sci-fi nerds. For people who aren't nerds, you don't may not know that there's a lot of variety in nerddom. And according to this hit piece Wired article, the day that Brandon Sanderson broke the all-time record for the biggest Kickstarter campaign ever in the world, it's like $42 million, it's a massive success, nobody in the Wired office had any idea who he was <laughs> because they weren't that kind of nerd. Not all nerds are the same. And that could have been a yellow flag. Now, Brandon's a really nice person, and he thinks the best of people, and so I don't think it would have changed how he did the interview. <laughs> but it's something to do your research ahead of time, just to kind of be prepared for what you're coming into. Another thing that's important is to identify your goal, right? Before saying yes to an interview request, you want to be crystal clear about what your goal is, right? Are you trying to get votes? Are you trying to sell a book? Are you trying to promote a nonprofit? For example, if the goal is to promote your upcoming book, make sure to mention it, perhaps by name, perhaps in every answer, right? If you do that, whatever answer the reporter uses, it will be a shout out to your book. Now, that may not work if it's a podcast, right? Podcasters don't want you to mention your book every sentence. But if it's for a magazine and they're just going to use two sentences from you, then you need to be putting your book title in every couple sentences if you wanted to make it into the final article. If you don't think accepting the interview will help your goals, decline the interview. It's a free country, and journalists can't force you to give them a quote. Twitter famously shut down its whole PR department a couple months ago, and they just don't do quotes anymore. And it hasn't changed the coverage at all. They're just saving money. Because <laughs> the media right now wants to attack Twitter and no amount of quotes are going to change that. Another suggestion is to ask your own questions. Before the interview starts, ask the journalist or the reporter questions about the target audience of the publication or the station. Ask them about the goal of the article. Try to get a feel for the angle that the journalist is shooting for. Sometimes they'll be coy and try to keep it a secret, and sometimes they'll be very direct. I had one reporter tell me, I keep getting this certain kind of soundbite, and what I really need is this other kind of soundbite. So I got him the recording, or I got him I got him in a situation where he could get a recording of what he needed, and that was what he went with in his news report. <laughs> he needed a certain thing, I helped him get it, and then he had it. There's this romantic notion that some people have that journalists just follow the facts to wherever they lead. But I'll tell you, I've never met a journalist like that. I audited a journalism class in college, and the other students didn't want to follow the facts. They wanted to change the world. They were mission-motivated. And unbiased journalism is an aspirational myth, right? Some journalists may aspire to it, but we're authors of action, and lies do not become us. Most journalists start with an angle or an opinion that they want to present, or to use the modern vernacular, they have a narrative they want to support. So be honest with yourself that the journalist has a narrative that they are coming to the story with, and they're trying to support that narrative by interviewing you. 
If you know that angle going in, you can more easily give the reporter what she wants if you share her goal. Or if your goals are opposed, you can know what to avoid. If you know the journalist wants to make your religion, your genre, or your fans look stupid, you want to know what that angle is going into the interview so you can effectively protect your religion, genre, and fans from the journalist using you as a weapon against them, right? You can't keep the journalist from writing a negative article, but you can keep from giving them weapons and keep from giving them ammunition. So how do, would you do that? How do you thwart a journalist's goal? Well, this is a, a really powerful principle I'm about to share with you, and it goes back to that very first tip. Remember the bias that journalists have. Their biggest bias is against boring. So make your answers about those protected topics or people as boring and beige as possible. Give them nothing to use against you and stay on message, right? Be boring on the topics you don't want them to talk about and be interesting in the topics you do want them to talk about. Effective communicators can use interest like a weapon and they make you want to talk about the interesting thing by making that interesting. And they're able to guide journalists in an interview away from sensitive topics by being boring about those topics. Now, I've talked a lot about practice. I want to give you some specific advice about how to practice effectively. One of the practices that I teach in my course, How to Get Booked as a Podcast Guest, is called Trading Up the Chain. I got this term from the excellent book, Trust Me, I'm Lying, Confessions of a Media Manipulator. And I should say, despite its sensationalistic title, it's perhaps the best, most useful PR book I've ever read. But trading up the chain, as I teach it, is where you start off a media tour going on small, new podcasts with few listeners. This gives you a chance to practice in a relatively safe environment. You'll still get nervous before your first interview, but it helps if there are 10 people listening to the podcast rather than 10 million. Then... As you do a better job on those smaller podcasts, you start pitching the larger podcasts and the larger shows. And by the time you're doing TV and radio, you have the experience of having done dozens of interviews with different hosts, with different personalities, asking different questions. And by being faithful in the small things, by being faithful in the small shows, you'll prove your ability to go on the big shows, which actually makes it easier to get booked on the big shows, right? One of the things, if somebody wants to come on one of my podcasts, I go and look to see if they've done any smaller podcasts and how they sounded. Did they have a good microphone? Did they present themselves well? Were they clear? Were they able to communicate a clear sentence? Were they able to put multiple clear sentences together? All of these are perks if you want to come on one of my podcasts. The more practiced you are, the better and more clear your answers will be. Practice also helps you become more confident in the interview, which can help how you present yourself physically if it's also uh, video, not just audio or text. Difficult questions. I know you, you may be nervous about getting tough questions, but I will say tough questions give you a chance to shine. I remember one interview I had with my book with a journalist who started off quite hostile to my ideas, maybe one of the most openly hostile interviews I ever did, at least at first. He hit me with hard question after hard question, but 
I had already been talking about my book for a long time. Had done a lot of interviews before this one, and I was ready. I had good, clear, simple answers for his questions. And as the interview went on, he softened, and I because he was really listening. I felt like I was getting through to him, and maybe even winning him over even a little bit over to my side. I could almost hear the gears turning in his head as the tone and content of his questions started to change. Because remember, reporters ask tough questions because that's their job. Answering tough questions is your job. You can't hit the ball if you're afraid of the pitcher. And I'll say, it's interviews like that that make it all worth it. Because if you're not willing to stand behind your ideas, who will? The cost of success is notoriety, right? There's a certain safety that comes with obscurity. If no one knows who you are, no one is curious to find out more about you. The more books you sell, though, the more envious other people, even journalists, will be. Remember, many journalists wish they were novelists. And so this is something you have to keep in mind as you're talking with reporters and people of the media. Some of them may be very envious of your success. But success doesn't just bring envy. It also brings curiosity. And that curiosity can lead to media exposure that leads to more success. If you're an author, this is the job. (laughs) Taking tough questions is the job. You don't see Brandon Sanderson complaining about this tough interview. His response, which I'll link to in the blog post version of this episode, was very gracious. And if you don't want the notoriety of being an author, this job may not be for you, right? Consider becoming an editor. It often pays better and you'll be safe from journalistic hit pieces. (laughs) Also, we shouldn't blame the journalists for giving us sensationalistic hit pieces. That is what we click on, read, and share with others. Writing articles people want to read is their job. And we may be tempted to get high and mighty and look down on journalists when all they are doing is giving us what we asked for. And I'll say, if you want a great interview of Brandon Sanderson, I recommend an article that came out last week by Esquire magazine. The interview was conducted at the same time, but it's much more in-depth. It's much more even-handed. And somehow it's more kind to Sanderson while also having more legitimate criticisms, right? It's not a puff piece. But the journalist, who does, frankly, a much better job journalisming, <laughs> earns the right to criticize by being fair in his analysis. And it's a very good article And it also breaks down some of the innovative things Sanderson is doing that's helping make him so successful. So I really encourage you to check out that article by Esquire magazine. I think this is the first time in my life I've ever recommended an Esquire magazine article. But it tells you something when the writers at Esquire are the best ones. (laughs) Actually, I don't know what that tells you, but it tells you something. Now, if you're wanting more help uh, with dealing with the media or getting booked as a podcast guest, I have a whole course on this called How to Get Booked as a Podcast Guest. It teaches you how to prepare for interviews, how to pitch podcasts to get on. I have a special template specifically designed to get podcasters to want to say yes and to want to get you to come back. And it has tips on how to access influencers that are hard to reach. And this is really excellent training. And I will say it's included in the book launch blueprint for free. So you can buy it alone on its own. But if you're on the fence about doing the book launch blueprint, just realize you get the entire course, how to get booked as a podcast guest, included in the book launch blueprint as yours to keep forever. I'd also like to 
thank our featured patron today, Derek Deppner, author of Why Authors Fail. Becoming a massively successful self-published author can be challenging. Even just one missing link in an otherwise perfect plan can kill your results. In Why Authors Fail, award-winning author Derek Deppner reveals the 17 mistakes authors make that sabotage their success, along with practical steps to fix each mistake. So Derek, thank you for supporting the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you for keeping us on the air. I really appreciate it. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of AuthorMedia.com. Audio engineering is by William Umstadt. The blog version is crafted by Shauna Lettler. And you can find that blog version along with links to everything we talked about at AuthorMedia.com slash 365. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr. saying thank you for listening and live long and prosper.